And I think it's something that really we miss in our language is to think with an imagination. And that doesn't have to be what something looks like, but to think with an imagination about how life might be or what a future might look like or how you might live in a more interesting way with your family or I don't know, I I like the idea of thinking about imagination more than ever. I think it's left our architecture world a little bit. Hi, I'm Ty Snaith, and this is A World of Her Own, a series of conversations with Australian women artists I respect and admire. Today, I'm speaking to architectural visionary, boss lady, mum of three, and all-round superwoman, Rachel Nolan. For the past 20 years, Rachel has been co-director of the very successful firm Kennedy Nolan Architects, alongside her business partner, Pat Kennedy. She's played a major part in reimagining the way we live by helping reshape contemporary Australian residential design. Rachel's firm has won numerous awards for their trademark simple, elegant homes and are now tackling much larger multi-residential dwellings, infrastructure and urban design. Basically, Rachel's one of those people that in 50 years' time we'll be quoting and attributing our amazing way of life to. In this conversation, we traverse many interesting topics, from the beauty of growing up with genderless toys to our shared love of circles, cut flowers and powerful feminist nanas. Rachel is a real leader when it comes to creating true gender equity in the workplace. We talk about the importance of having a sense of empathy and understanding and providing truly flexible career opportunities for women. Not least of our discussion is her focus on the importance of the garden. A house needs to sit comfortably in the landscape and Rachel believes the garden is an equally important design consideration as the built structure itself. We cut to the chase in this interview, or as the case may be, we open the back doors and run straight out to the garden. It's really nice to hear an architect talk about how a garden is equally important to a house because I think in the past when, and maybe you could correct me if I'm wrong here mm. in making a generalist assumption about genders of architects, but I think um, that's quite a feminine way of approaching how what a house is in that it sits in the landscape equally to just dominating the landscape. And I know that a lot of male architects have now taken on that, but the way that I see that is quite a feminine or feminist even understanding of what a house is, sort of um, open to the land, not just like the king of the land. Yeah, I don't. Oh, you don't? Well, primarily, I mean, my business partner's a man Mm -hmm. and we came, we found each other because we had that in common. So it's the first, you know, it's... The, it's kind of the language we've always spoken to each other yeah, with, cool. which is always considering landscape. And my dad's really into gardens and my grandfather and grandmother together were really into gardens. So mm-hmm. I, I think because Pat and I grew up in the country, we had families who were interested in gardens too. We knew the names of plants. We are interested in plants. Mm. We met at college, which was um, Marnie Griffin, so Walter Billy Griffin and Marin Marnie, mm-hmm. who, who, who both designed Newman College. I'm an incredible opportunity for us to um, live in a really special building and meet in a very special building we often use newman college as a way to talk about space was that designed by the griffin designed by the griffins and marion money was a landscaper as well she's amazing yeah and that's where i mean we were talking before about um lemon scented gums Mm. and what 
a lot of the language we use in practice about memory and materiality mm-hmm. come from a really early in common discussion about Newman where mm. Marion Money had a huge hand in that too mm. with him, yeah. with Walter Billy Griffin. Mm. So I guess we kind of, we've got a practice where there's a man and a woman. Mm. Um, the, the other hilarious assumption is always that when you're a man and a woman in practice is that you're actually together. Yeah, no, I knew that, but which, I'm which, sure which that is, happens. Yeah. Which is actually mostly true. Yeah, yeah it Mostly is, it, it is mm. they're, part, they're in a partnership mm-hmm. and I would have... I would hate to be partnered with Isn't an architect. That, that people just assume that though. Yeah, when the they don't assume that two that. men are gay in a partnership. No, and or, they wouldn't assume necessarily that two women are too. And I think it probably is. I mean, mm. we always kind of laugh at it, but more often than not, when you look at <laughs> a man and women partnerships, particularly in Melbourne, that they are actually mm. home partners yeah, as yeah. well. Mm. But like the Thorntons. Oh, oh yeah. Who else is the oh, um, couples? Multiplicity, mm. um, oh, you know, when, when they come to mind, um, <laughs> Vanessa Bird and her partner. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a yeah. and in And throughout history there's a And hip. you can see what works when you have kids and how people meet at architecture school and mm. so, you know, officially, for the record mm. out there, everybody, Pat and I out together, yeah. continue to this day to for people to people will think that. that. Yeah. And I kind of like the fact that my partner is, and just so happens both of us have, partners are in the medical profession so yeah. it's there is some kind of similarity i guess there oh, i think that's an interesting that's interesting similarity with um my partner's a surgeon mm-hmm. a, a kind of spatial thing which sounds like a crazy thing but every now and mm. then there is some kind of weird overlap about knowing where you are in space wow um but yeah pat and i going back to the landscape part pat mm. and i always talked about these things it was like really early days mm. late 90s we'd meet after work in Fitzroy and drink beer and smoke cigarettes mm. you know no obligation talk about plants and t- no talk, <laughs> talk we talked a lot about simple houses we talked about um, merchant builders houses mm-hmm. when we were younger like, mm. which was quite unpopular mm. again in the very 90s popular now. <laughs> very popular now yeah. and and about um, native gardens mm-hmm. as well as introduced plants mm. as well and i think in our practice we've we like now to work with horticulturists because they teach us about plants yeah so we're more interested less interested in i guess landscape architecture as buildings mm. as well yeah or, but more interested in learning just about plants mm. that's great i mean it's just so inspiring i love plants and i love you can tell when an architect has considered it from the beginning and i think mm. and maybe that's just me assuming that's a female thing but i, I do think it brings a feeling of oneness to a whole property and whether that's gendered or not like it's it's nice and I think that's sort of not rushing like the photos and you can tell when mm. things are put into awards too early it's like what about the garden yeah. and for us it's a critical part of it mm. so we have to be really careful when we shoot early mm-hmm. to make sure what we capture and then the opportunity to go back I mean almost shooting in the last week of gone back where there's been so much Boston Ivy on things you can barely see the building anymore. Which wow. so you start to look at the image and go, where is the building? But that was the intention. Kind of nice though, isn't it? It'll be really nice to work at how we can use those images, even in terms of giving lectures or mm. talking about our position on things. That mm. there is actually something there to demonstrate from a really cold hard drawing mm. into what the vision is too, because it's more complicated than just building materials. And also, I mean, we were saying before, it's also about time, and that's something mm. that I mean, living. If you've got a full understanding of life, it's not just about now and the resale value in a year and all that rubbish that often comes with 
architecture and real estate, which is infuriating. I'm so sure. in in our housing, we mm. would we would have a very low appetite for people to commission something to flip it to mm. make money on it. Mm. It actually doesn't stack up that way economically. You'll always overinvest in a in a mm. piece by an architect but you will live out your life in it. Yeah, so it's a very different cool. type of investment. Mm-hmm. Like plants, that if you, and you know, we all know from any kind of um, work you do in a garden that the smaller plant you put in will catch up to the bigger plant and actually be a better plant mm. in time. So there's a, there's a patience. There's a sensible investment to be mm-hmm. made out of a better plant, but there's also something about, which I think in our residential architecture, is that you go through the process itself that you are so tied and knitted into owning that property someone just doesn't give you a key the whole commissioning and involvement with it makes you love it and understand it more yeah and and it can make so many more people have an awareness of architecture and other buildings when they've been through that process i really like it when we have a young family Mm. and that the kids see the making of their building and that process or even just going on site Because there's so much more to gain out of the process, not yeah. just the building at the end. Well, it's all about belonging and, and understanding your life and building your life together as a family rather than just buying a house and moving in. Oh, well, and to making an investment that's actually not just about money. You no. make a time it's investment. Yeah. yeah. And that's what a garden gives you. I think when you know you talk about growing things from seeds mm. and then how much you own that as it gets bigger and mm. older yeah. or that your children will see your garden change or as a way back of even a way of looking back to images to mark the changing of time yeah and their understanding of their life and yeah and their and your life together i mean we were just talking mm-hmm. about because i love growing things too but talking about growing avocado trees from pip mm-hmm. and for me that's remembering my grandmother growing mm-hmm. avocado trees so it's i think it's a generational thing too like yep for you is there i mean being an architect do you have memories of is there someone in your family that inspired you to go down that path or did was that just were you the first in your family to think about in terms of building or yeah, garden or architect or both um we didn't have any architects in my family but when i was a kid i was always interested in making space mm. you know and just early early things like having lego which you know what a beautiful toy it was then before it turned into pink barbie shit yeah. um, <laughs> like the universal perfect genderless toy yeah, it wasn't which you could make you know you didn't have to make something that was you followed mm. instructions so yeah. and as a kid i grew up on the river in albury like pretty suburban neighbors kind of mm-hmm. cul-de-sac-y life but we we always made things and made places and um found it really exciting so mm. i i guess i was good at drawing and art and i was a maths person so then you go okay what can i do at university because i'm actually i'm going to leave town at 17 or 18 Mm -hmm. and that that kind of pointed in that general Mm. direction but you know my uncle's a carpenter and people were around Uh making things and my nan who is amazing woman i had two great amazing um, grandmothers on both sides who were very um independent and quite feminist in their own right for that time. Yeah. She had, you know, they were they were poor. They are from a generation that lived through the war. And she went back and did carpentry and made heaps of stuff. Wow. And they didn't have money, but, you know, when you make things, you don't really need, need that. Yeah. And she and so had a beautiful you, garden. And you watched that. So those two together, oh, yeah. it's from your nan. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, well, for, and from my other grandmother too, I think, to be fair. Yeah. But I think, um, and the other thing that I'm really interested in, in the 
garden sort of things which came from Nan and which both of my sisters did which is cut flowers oh yeah beautiful you know the whole idea yeah and you know Nan would cut everything from her garden and then you know we grew up very catholic family way back when and would put it in the church and you'd help go and arrange that both of my sisters end up doing floristry at certain points of their life but that idea of um, making something from something you've grown to yeah. remove it and then reinvent it, mm. which still for me in our back garden, I need a garden where you can I, cut I can flowers. cut from. Same with me. And mm. I wonder whether that, I mean, that probably came from my grandparents as well, but I love that. I mean, for me, cut flowers is just about noticing time going by as well, mm. you know, because they only last for a week or so and then mm. they die. And then mm. you, you know, you notice that a week's gone by. Well, it's, it's the first time in my life that I'm really prepared to spend money on flowers. And then yeah. like, I've always, I'm always a person with snips on me. Yeah. The kids used to always be embarrassed and they're little because I have snips hiding in the top of the pram and they get really uptight and look around oh, and I'll yeah. be stealing stuff. <laughs> me too. But now I'll spend money at florists because, you know, I, can, I don't grow all the nice smelling seasonal things, but yeah. I know... I'd, I'd happily spend $30 to get that smell for five days yeah. and sleep better and remember yeah. that mark that Freges. time of the year. Oh, uh, Freesias, tuber roses, which are kind of ugly but smell beautiful. Yeah. Daphne, yeah. Um, gardenia. Yeah, I will always spend my money first on flowers and seedlings and seeds. Like that's where all my mm. money goes. But it's the best money ever spent, I think. Like if you yeah. can, and you can watch it grow around yeah. you or smell yeah. it. Or, yeah. I but the cut flowers is a challenge too because it doesn't, like it doesn't have, it's been a bit of a thing, a bit of a challenge for me to spend money on cut flowers. But then I love the smell of flowers and no one who, makes perfumes as far as i'm concerned makes a good flower not as no some some get close well it's not how flowers smell you know no. we're talking before when we're outside in the garden because they but scent will come to you yeah but it's not a consistent thing mm. it's a temporary thing too and i think like like living and i guess like what you do you're constantly creating a structure for a temporary thing to happen within it i mean it's quite different i've mainly talked to artists um, visual artists in this podcast that are talking about things that they make that then go out into the world, yeah. leave them as objects. Whereas with architecture, I'm continually fascinated by architects because you are really creating a, a stage almost, aren't you, for these things to happen in the best way. That's sort of how I see your job is like a, you're framing lives to happen and actually quite a political act in itself because yep. the politics that happen in the home a formative, you know, for after that. So do you think, I mean, like, and I talked to Simon about this quite a bit. Like, yeah. You can influence the way that families begin. Like you can influence the way that people live with each other, which is political, you know, because then children grow up. Totally, and we have opinions on that, which yeah. is political in itself, for having an opinion on domesticity. Yeah. We do, and I sometimes get into trouble for this because, um, you know, we do some big houses which... I guess our challenge with bigger houses is how we can still keep a sense of the domestic, mm. that it doesn't become too big, that you Segregated. can't. Segregated. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you've got to be careful because I like having some bigger projects. Yeah, we enjoy them. Yeah. You get paid well. <laughs> but you can also, you know, make some beautiful yeah. things yes. with them and yeah. beautiful material mm-hmm. things, which otherwise with smaller projects you, you can't. can't. And smaller yeah. projects are hard for my practice to run now at over 20 people. Yeah. Um, so we actually still use our residential component as incubators for certain ideas so then, yeah. and test things. So yeah. then we might roll them out in a housing choices project or um, they might work in a school. So there's, there, there's a great incubator in residential work. Of course. But in terms of domestic politics, which I mm. guess is where we, we, what we were just talking about, is you can't help but come to, 
I think in your life when the way you've been brought up, you either um, it has an effect on you where either you think that was good or mm. then you do the opposite. It's hard to be impartial, I think, mm. or about you can the take way. A, you can do a bit of both. Yes, yeah, <laughs> but that can happen. Like there's lots of places that can happen in a house. Yeah. And certainly, you know, we're a sizable practice of, say, 20 people now where there's been 16 babies born in our practice. So we talk wow. about domesticity. Including your own, right? Including my three. Yeah. Um, domesticity a lot mm. and we have opinions on you know how bathrooms should work Did, should children use bath? I mean that all becomes quite political if you've got clients sharing you mean like sharing. ideas of sharing yeah how, how a house can um, make you wait mm. and is fine that, that's important right which is important mm. or share and I guess you get to architects are in a privileged position when they build their own homes or do things their own homes or slightly alter their own homes mm. is that you can See how that affects you, too. Yeah, and then you're then preaching this to other people, but maybe. But, but who might be a different fit, and who might be quite different, different to us as yeah. well? And you can suggest things, and I reckon that's a real professional line: is knowing mm. when not to say this is how I live, this is how you should live. Yes. Mm. So you but, can assess it. But there are things that are happening now in this day and age, like everyone having their own thing you know everyone having and particularly comes with privilege as well you know everyone mm. having their own ipad and then their own corner to do it in and no one has to look at each other and that kind of stuff is universal is sort of happening across oh. the board and mm. that's something that you can have an opinion which doesn't about. feel right. i don't feel good about <laughs> that i think things can evolve things that we immediately look at and think that's bad can have good things about them as well. I mean, this is mm. a lot. This is coming from being a parent with two teenagers and a mm. kid who's nine. Who the whole um, infrastructure of um, games and computers mm. and how much time you spend on screen. So it's obviously a big conversation yeah. for people at the moment. But I think in terms of physical space, yeah. um, there's lots you can share. There's all sorts of thresholds of privacy in a house from throwing the house open to everybody to where you retreat to just as a family and then where you can retreat to as an individual. Yeah. And we often, I mean, we work so hard in, and you forget you make rules in your practice mm. because they they're actually, evol they evolve out from instincts and then in buildings they actually hmm. become um, built patterns. Mm. And sometimes it takes a long time in your work and a beautiful privilege to... To see them in retrospect. To, to be, sometimes to be asked so we, to do a retrospective of mm. your own work, to actually see what you've done. Mm. because sometimes it's not a verbal position mm. but you can see you can trace it it's almost unconscious oh, it what comes a beautiful out. thing for an architect to have is a, is a body of work yeah well, lots one, of professions don't well yeah that's they're very true i mean and that's what architecture has in common with visual art is mm. that over time and every woman that i've spoken to so far quite you a common a trail. yeah and quite a yeah. common thing that comes up is a language that's built over time and a few people have said that they like to think of it as still all alive. You know, they might bring one motif from early in their yeah. practice into their current um, practice, which is something that's been really inspiring for me. But one thing, looking at your retrospective, or just even, I guess, absorbing it over the last 15 years, is circles. I mean, yeah. one, and it's something that, I mean, even your yeah. earrings today, like you're wearing circles. And I feel an affinity with that because I have a lot of circles in my work yeah. as well. And I guess I just wonder if you've thought about what circles mean to you, you know, like... It's kind of pure shapes, mm. I guess, or about reducing things to the absolute, absolute minimum when we're doing plans, like we work really hard at that. And, you know, like a circle is reduced to the absolute minimum, if mm. you think about it. But it's it. not a square. It's quite a feminine shape. It's not a square. Um, 
I don't see it as being necessarily a feminine so shape. I, I mean, well, I work with a man, like we're partners. So. I know, but I hate to make the assumption that you're probably, you know, like the circle person. But are you both circle people? Absolutely. Awesome. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Absolutely both circle people. Okay. Um, it, you may work with a feminist though. So, so fen, fen, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so fenestration, what architects mm-hmm. call fenestration, everyone calls windows. Yeah. Um, for us, how you resolve an opening in a wall is always a, an interesting challenge mm-hmm. in practice. We have really big opinions on openings in walls. Yeah. Um, sometimes a circle can allude to an abstraction of something where a conventional old window doesn't. You look mm-hmm. at it as a window, a circle might allude to other things. So the idea of suggested, suggested like otherness, <laughs> um, I guess it kind of – don't know as a motive we do use it a lot and i do get asked the question and i've never actually come up with a proper answer for it well i mean technically like if you're thinking about phallic structures and yonic structures Mm. like the classic opening is a circle like Mm. it's the way that i see circles is that they're the most yonic sort of symbol that you can get really Mm. um but that's how i see them and i also i mean i noticed that and this is purely my experience but like i noticed when i was pregnant um, for the first time, I just started making circles. Like I was drawing circles. I was seeing circles more mm. than I did before. And maybe that's just coincidence. But I've spoken to quite a few sculptors about circles mm. and like thought about artists like Barbara Hepworth or yep. lots of Eva Hess, even that the, the recurring motif of a circle was quite powerful. Yep. And them um, as feminists as well quite powerful. But maybe that's just a – it could be drawing a well, long in, bow. In architecture, it can be really – playful or a mat and it's not typically a door or a window but Mm. it can be both Mm. it alludes to something behind Mm. it's something that can be beautifully executed in something weighty Mm. as well more organic than a square isn't it it's more organic but it's disciplined Mm, so it's not it's harder to achieve. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, we always used to get asked the questions. Mm. You know, women design curves and men design, and which uh. we actually don't do that much curvy stuff. I have to say, it, it depends on how beautiful the curve is. <laughs> so for for us for us in practice, sometimes these things are about proportion mm-hmm. and the and what context they sit in, and a circle can be a really different thing if just the scale of it, what it's executed, mm. its size compared to a person. Yeah, in architecture right. so that's where it starts to be maybe a different thing from artwork mm. you know whether you Scale. walked where it sits compared to your body mm. what, whether it stays a window or it's something a porthole or a, a porthole or if we're working in childcare or schools where the kids it's only small enough for a child to fit through and not an adult mm. like i think it actually has it acts as a scaling device and but that's then what, a pure what shape. Like playful as well yeah so that it has more sort of suggestive yeah, and, and I I guess, you know, Roy Grounds did it often with pure geometries. It's sometimes where the, the shape of things is is just beautiful and it's a re- another really difficult topic mm. to t- and quite an unfashionable thing in architecture to say you want to make something beautiful. Yeah. And we have never shied away from saying that. That's Pat nor I to talk about beauty and I think that's a whole other world where a garden fits in where sometimes you mm. can't exactly tell what makes you feel a way but beauty can start to... Mm. But give think, it a name maybe but I, I think it's also something that is a hu- very human need is like beauty i mean classically beauty is often 
we need it. We need. Mm. We can't just live in an ugly, stark world. Humans mm. need beauty as well, mm. and often beauty is tied to yeah, like thriving or mm. nice smells or beautiful colours. Mm. Or I mean, I mean, the word beautiful is just really means things that go together well, doesn't it? Well, I just think it's <laughs> it's different things to different people. Mm. So um, you know, it's the other one with um, architecture is taste. When people talk about taste, which I don't <laughs> know, maybe that was a different generation word for beauty. Or that, that people don't want things to age because they're oh, scared of things. That's a big thing in architecture, aging. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, which, you know, everything ages. Mm. Things age well or things age terribly. Mm. But th- there's this thing of like, um, we don't want things to age, which is kind of funny. Because what's, it ta- it? what's it talking about? Is it yeah. talking about we don't want something to be um, fatty? So <laughs> then, as, as yeah. a case, it doesn't. You know, we don't want it to be just now and not the future. To it's, mark it's, a time. Yeah, a it's a real. Time. It's a. There's slippery words. There's lots of slippery words mm. when it comes to aesthetics. But the way you see it, it's actually okay. I mean, things do inevitably age, so it's okay for something to age and be of its time in if it's done well, right? Oh, totally. And yeah. if there's thought to it, mm. and and you know, of course, architecture, what it looks like, is just a part. Mm. You know, I think it's easy to fetishize architecture because yes. traditionally we've seen it in magazines or on mm. television so that's that's how you mostly perceive it yeah. but the, the, you know the proof is in how it's used the as reality, well like it's yeah. complex it's complex how you deliver it on budget and how long it takes and all of those other it's processes a science and a business as well but yeah. the ones i mean the houses that really my favorite houses are houses like the featherston house which mm. i mean mary featherston still lives in mm. and you can you can sort of see her and their essence in in mm. that house i mean that's quite a unique um opportunity for two creative people to be involved in designing a house as well and maybe mm-hmm. it's easier with creative people or is it harder to design a house for a creative person oh i think what a beautiful opportunity yeah. to do that because they become collaborators in a way oh well they're much more likely to step into that circle to love it so much with both hands yeah but i think i mean you know we're talking about kind of going back to talking about fashionable words yeah i think imaginations are really unfashionable word people don't really talk about having an imagination oh, anymore that's crazy well it can be called other things at different yeah. times okay so it might be create what might be what someone calls creative a creative person but it might be yeah. they might have a great imagination i think unless you're in the kids world because for me i mean i work with kids as well yeah. and imagination is everything but it's often limited to discussions about children children yeah and you talk crazy. about mary featherston and yeah designing for in education and she had that she still has an imagination that almost children are allowed to talk to have access to imaginative things but Why adults feel like maybe things? it's too serious it's too frivolous like they have to grow up yeah they're, i think like i think adults. so and i think it's something that really we miss in our mm. language is to think with an imagination and that doesn't have to be what something looks like but mm. to think with an imagination about how life might be or what a future might look like or how you might live in a more interesting way with your family yeah. or I don't know I I like the idea of thinking about imagination more yeah. than ever I think it's left our yeah. architecture world a little bit that's sad well I mean, the Featherston house what a beautiful imagination oh, so great and and just limitless as well like I, I love the first time I walked through it I remember thinking oh like I could live like this and mm. Then when designing our house, we were really, I mean, you know, I really wanted the garden to become part of the house. And, mm. and I mean, they had a garden in their house. And mm. it's like really no rules there, you yeah. know. And 
that and just even I mean little things like seeing Mary's bird's nest collection in her mm. house was just so inspiring for me is that it's not those things are not about money either you know it's not mm. that's about living and her and over time which is pretty much all I'm interested in in a house is how mm. a person or a family grows within it and how the plants mm. grow around it and and even things that you accumulate aren't necessarily about how much they cost it's about things that are meaningful to you and your family but mm. unfortunately I think what happens with things like the block and things like you know some fashion mag design magazines mm. is that you know you can buy all of this now for mm. this much which it, it's just impossible to do that you can't just mm. buy a life in one go mm. you have to build it over time but it must be frustrating for you to try and explain that or you know to, to clients that want it all now we try and choose our clients <laughs> yeah, carefully yeah. now. I mean, yeah. once upon a time when we were younger, we had to take everything. Mm. We didn't have projects to show. And I think we now, when we talk with clients, and I guess our, our discussion is really a, based around our residential component of our practice at the moment rather than other stuff. Because you do yeah. lots of stuff, of course. Yeah. Um, is that we are careful about who we talk at the beginning and often our projects are bigger now. So a client might be interviewing three architects mm. or four architects to tell them to do the hardest part of their investigations in terms of the choice, not later. They don't have to do the work later. So yeah. really check you've got a good fit, Yeah. that you get along. It's a really super long relationship for yeah. you to hitch your wagons to each other. Yeah. And then you can, should be able to trust after that because if you've looked at all that lineup and then mm. you've chosen that person. Mm. So these days we would feel like they're interviewing us yeah. and we're interviewing them. Same way. Because yeah. to – when you've got that and it works, and it, and actually with a builder as yeah. well, like what builder you bring into the mix. Oh, yeah, they're important, aren't yeah? they? Yeah, so if you get that God. triangle right, yep. you can deliver extraordinary things. Yeah, and I being think. honest about what you're going to spend, that's a good one. Isn't oh, it? we always talk about money. You have to. <laughs> you have to. No, yeah. you have to. But, but and and lots a, of people find that very confronting. Oh, we stop they? doing that. Yeah, money is just another thing part of it that you have to but deal clients with. i mean find that confronting sometimes like people find money confronting because it's a real i ask them very thing. early in the process not to we always have to talk about money yeah because it's, it's like i guess when you're employing people and stuff like it's just yeah one thing you need to be open comfortable and honest about, yeah open and honest yeah. about people's expectations but i think um you know we we you don't have to um have a really, really expensive house to have mm. a beautiful house either. Mm. One thing, I mean, on a, just on a bit of a side, I always think about how as architects you guys have to deal with personalities quite a lot. And mm. even if, I mean, particularly in residential, but mm. even on other projects where mm. there's lots of different dynamics in the mix and you have to think about the way that you you are as a person you mm. have to be really forthright but you have to be mm. give, there's a lot of give and take you have to listen really well mm. obviously and I know this just from like talking to my partner about what mm. he does and I think good architects seem to always be very good listeners um, but also very um, decisive it's mm. like a really difficult balance to get that it's the beautiful thing about having partnership. I think it would be much harder mm. to be a solo practitioner that way. So you share that kind of... Absolutely, we share it. Is it good cop, bad cop? Can be. Yeah. Um, depends on what relationships we build with people. Now we've got two other directors who have, um, you know, and, and lots of other wonderful people who are project architects in our practice who can make that relationship yeah. as well. Um, yeah. I, just, are you, do you have, um, like, equal men and women in your office we it 
so obviously Pat and I started, we very quickly brought people into our practice to yep. work with for diversity. We, for a long time, I reckon we had probably about 10 women to two men. So yep. our practice became known as having a lot of women, which was completely, um, when it came to hiring people, those people happened to be the best people for the job. Yep. So the ladies were the best people for the job. Mm-hmm. And then I think we felt for a while that maybe we should even it up a bit. I mean, not overly consciously That's because amazing. I wasn't going to get rid of an excellent lady to bring in an ordinary bloke yeah but it's our younger ones coming through we've got structure in our practice now mm-hmm. where there's seniority down to students course, so yeah. it's it's evened out a bit more but certainly in terms of senior roles much more um women that's awesome because that's not always the case in architecture it's rare but we forget because we just but work why? all the time we think it's like an <laughs> island it's like we build our own world but that's an un- that might be an unconscious decision on your behalf, but I know, like, from just knowing lots of different architects, that mm. quite often male architects have to make an effort to 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 consciously bring women into just because of the just because of the history of architecture yeah. being quite male dominated. But it's I just think it's really interesting from my point of view. There's quite a lot of female things in your practice that yeah. seem to be just purely unconscious from yeah. both of you, you know, yeah. which is really exciting but I think um there's you know like there's a lot of female architects now like Mel Bright or Kirsten yeah. Thompson that are actively being leaders for women that yeah. sort of needs to be more but yeah. um I think yeah. it's a really good time tie though do you think it is oh well, is it um, changing Claire Cousins is about to oh, be Claire's a national amazing. president yeah um Karen Alcock runs a wonderful practice um Vanessa's been the head of our Victorian yeah. Institute um, there's lots of women around at the moment. So in terms of role models, we are spoilt for choice. Yeah, you're growing quickly. Yeah, but, but you know, my background, I worked for women architects before. So when I was a student, oh, yeah. I worked for all-women practice Did in you? Fitzroy. And then I worked for another woman, which Pat also worked for her before, and then I worked for a bloke. So I'd work for more women than men. So you just knew how it worked? Which... Well, when I was younger, I thought they... that would be quite fun to do because I thought that seemed unusual. And then it just became, I don't know, my normal did they all have children through the time that you were working with them um the first women did Mm -hmm. and um another practice didn't so really different Mm. from each other not all one type but i could see the juggle sitting Mm. in there and yeah and you could see how that could work right yeah well i just never imagined stop working and also when it's your own practice it's pretty hard to get off i mean i stop (laughs) stop for a bit but there's always um constant contact which yeah I actually could envy other people in my practice when they were able to say, I'm not working for a year, Mm -hmm. and the pen was down. But you didn't do that. I didn't do that, but I I wasn't like full-time either, but I always was in contact with the practice Mm -hmm. or being involved with the practice, but I couldn't turn my back on the practice. And and that was – my partner actually went overseas to work and ended up visiting him, getting pregnant. I wasn't in England with Mm -hmm. him, and then he went to work in France. And so my first baby – I stayed here because I wouldn't leave the practice. Mm-hmm. If you'd been gone for longer than a year, I needed the option. Yeah. So I actually got married at lunchtime in a registry office, so I had the option because I couldn't have got a working visa for England unless yeah. we were married. So that was that kind of happened like that, terribly kind of underhand. But then I got pregnant and then I stayed here and he came back a week before we had our first kid. So he was away wow. the entire time, which was, you know, pretty a bit tricky at the time, but fine. Yeah. Got to spend nice time with lots of other friends for my last hurrah but 
it was just always integrated in having a baby and around that time we moved the practice out of the warehouse mm-hmm. so there was separation that's good there yeah yeah but it, i mean it's good to have separation but it's also good i think when you think about the option of like a male dominated practice where um you know when a woman gets pregnant and i know it's changing a lot and yeah. there's a lot of architects that are very very actively changing it but traditionally it's been difficult for you know like say you were to interview for mm-hmm. a job as a woman and you're pregnant when you interviewed. Yeah. I mean, even if it's unconsciously, often a male architect will be like, yeah, but what's going to happen? Oh, but look, even small practice with a women, with women's mm. women interviewing, if you thought this is going to put pressure on a small practice, small practice can't afford it. So it, yeah. it's a tricky thing to, in your head to have to reconcile. But recently, yeah. like... Maybe last year at the Institute, um, Victoria and I gave it, who's one of our directors, gave a talk. For women who work part-time, what value they actually bring to a workplace in terms of monetary value. They can get a whole project in terms of architecture, run an entire project on three three days a week extremely efficiently that it actually makes economic sense for practice because you're only paying someone three days a week. Because you're only paying them three-fifths of a wage and they might otherwise kind of faff about for longer and <laughs> yeah. not be as efficient and so women are actually, pretty efficient as well when they've had kids they're very efficient yeah. they come in and they put their heads down yeah because it's like a holiday because it's easier <laughs> because it's so much easier so it's a joy to yeah. go into work isn't it well and and there's a certain understanding because everyone knows what position they're in pat yeah. doesn't have kids my business partner oh, but he is really close with my kids and he's got lots he's very close with his nieces and nephews so yeah. he has a real interest in kids or understands the invol- involvement. So there just really needs to be empathy in any situation, not architecture, totally. yeah. just to realise what other people are going through, but actually to understand the real value of working not full-time in terms of what you can deliver a practice. And I think that's only starting to be understood. Yeah, and I don't think that's just for women either. Like yeah. I think there's a lot more, I mean, just knowing from Simon's practice, there's a lot more of an understanding now and urge towards people taking a day off every fortnight or even every week or even just a couple of hours during the week to yeah. actually grow them as a person that's not at work. Like yeah. Whether that be with a family or going to see an exhibition or doing a project, yeah. an art project or whatever on the side, like being fully rounded people. Yeah. Um, and that's not just women, but we understand it as women who had children because it's such an important part of your life to grow a human on yeah. the side but you of course you can keep working but yeah. it's just i think it's start that's starting to come into the general consciousness i think so which it? is i've got some younger ones who would like to do that but I, you also have to at a certain point in your early training need to get the full you need to work hard you need to work hard yeah. and get all the experience mm. so that down the track you might be able to make some lifestyle lifestyle decisions in architecture yeah as well and so choose. when you actually get learn the ropes so then you can have you can plot a type of uh, the way you might like your profession to look, hmm. I think. One thing, um, we're going to run out of time soon, but one thing that I have been asking everyone, which is quite personal, mm. and so you don't need to answer, but um, just just out of interest for me thinking about my life and um, how I relate to my practice as mm. a woman, what do you find, or if there's anything, there may not be, but what do you find most confronting about yourself? Hmm. I don't think about that very much. You don't have time. To um, <laughs> um, not keeping a kind of natural fitness as you get older, where, oh. where you know you're kind of sitting on your ass all week at a desk, and that has a result when you're nearly fifty. Like having to doesn't think, look like it does. But it anyway. does. <laughs> it does die. Um, but having to make room for for those. I mean, lots of people build that into their lives. Physical and health. Yeah, like just 
keeping active. Like mm. when you're busy, torn between three kids, the only, and you can actually say there is no time for anything else. Mm. And you realise pretty quickly that if you're going to make time, it has to come out of the time when you'd otherwise be sleeping. Gardening? <laughs> gardening. <laughs> they're still gardening. Yeah, I still do gardening. It's physical? But yeah, it's physical. And look, I walk the dog and all that kind of stuff as yeah. well. But I think as you get older, just, you know, Pat and I are the oldest people in our practice. And you actually, it kind of is surprising. Yes. You, you, I have no issues with getting older. In fact, I quite like it. But um, yesterday I was interviewing a younger person for a role at work and she said how long it was since she'd left uni. And then I said how long it was since I started uni. And I was in there with Victoria, who's one of our directors, and she thought I'd made a mistake. And then when she realised I hadn't made a mistake, she dropped her pen in shock. So a younger person who I would sit there and think of as a peer had left uni five years ago. Yeah. And I started university 31 years ago. Wow. And you can still feel like um, you're really aligned. And yeah. then you realise that's a really lot of extra time on the planet. <laughs> But that's and what makes you more knowledgeable, and that's why I'm the yeah, boss. I have, I have <laughs> no issues with getting older, except yeah, except for except being for a bit sore and all that kind of stuff. But um, or the fact that um, you know, between fifty and sixty, like it's getting at the other end of your career. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a really nice age to be in practice for this long and be at this part of our career. Like a complete privilege because of respect and people actually oh, know yeah. what you do. And, and you know, some of that time which I thought, oh, you know, I can't stop. And others can stop. Like there are actually rewards from having mm. to stick some shit out in your life. Mm. Like there, that, that investment comes back. Yeah. So sometimes the hard yards, it takes a little while to pay off. But I think at this point in practice, it really has. That's so and your practices good. have to be really nimble and be able to evolve. It's not yeah. you can't flexible. And, you have to yeah. be really. And we're always in practice in architecture. A beautiful privilege is that you're around people of all ages. Yeah, and, and so I can accidentally think I'm 25, <laughs> but sometimes the young ones remind me quite categorically that I'm not, oh, I'm and sure. that's always a bit of a surprise too, yeah. because it doesn't mean when you're younger mm. that you're actually, um, you know, less conservative, more conservative, or yeah. less conservative. Less, yeah, no, because younger people can be. Yeah, they as can well. be. Of so, all ages, yeah. yeah. I don't know whether that answers the question, but there's a little uh, no, bit of something. No, definitely there. has. It definitely has. I've actually. I feel like we could just talk forever, um, but I'm going to have to stop us now. And it's been a huge pleasure. And thank you for taking time out of your busy practice. Just oh, nice way to finish the day, rather than sitting at my desk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you soon. Thank you. Such a woman after my own heart. I found I shared so many sentiments with Rachel in this conversation. I loved her assessment of how rules in her practice evolve from instincts, which then evolve into built patterns. What an intuitive and sensible way of running a creative business, and life for that matter. I thoroughly enjoyed her views on imagination and playfulness and her strong opinions on beauty. I love a woman who is not afraid to have an imagination and equally not afraid of talking about money up front. How great is it when Rachel says there are actually some rewards for having to stick some shit out in your life? Here is an example of a woman who has never stopped doing what she loves. She's bloody good at it, and although she admits that the struggle and the juggle of motherhood and career are indeed real, she has not denied herself any of the hard yards of earning her architecture stripes in the process. Here's to having it all. This conversation was recorded for the series, A World of Her Own, as part of the exhibition, Unfinished Business, Perspectives on Art and Feminism, at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art. 
It was recorded by me, Ty Snaith. I'm an artist for those of you who don't know my work. If you enjoyed exploring Rachel's world with me today, you might like to delve into some other worlds by downloading more episodes directly from the ACCA website. Visit www.acca.melbourne where you'll find the world of her own link under programs or from SoundCloud if you visit soundcloud.com forward slash ACCA underscore Melbourne. I would like to give a big thanks to Beck Fari for audio post-production and Melbourne musician Fia, spelt P-H-I-A, for letting us use this track, End of the Day, from her album The Ocean of Everything.